virtual. What does that mean? That means thousands of people who could not maybe attend the live event are now through the comfort of their own home on their computer going to be able to participate and have a ticket and be part of their Lift to Lead conference. You do not want to miss this. We're inviting you to learn from a few intentional people that I've invited to share the stage. Steve Harvey, Kat Cole, Alan Mulali, Farida Bedway, Alfred Baku, Craig Groeschel, they will all be joining me. And let me tell you why I picked these people. This is not a time for an L2L just to have just people who could speak well. We have to have leaders who model how to overcome adversity well and will help you throughout this incredible crisis. At our virtual event, there will be opportunities to participate in Q&A, live chat with other growth-minded leaders, engage in polls and other audience engagement tools so that you're a part of the conversation. We've made this so not only can you join, but your team could join with us also. So join me as we bring you Live to Lead, a virtual event, and together, let's make the most of this year. Let's lead with intentionality. Step into leadership. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever experienced something so wonderful that you just wish that you could involve more of your friends into that experience? Well, Live to Lead is a life changer when it comes to helping you and your team develop your leadership skills and better afford to help and add value to the people of your community. And what's exciting is, I know how good it is, and this year for the very first time we're going virtual. What does that mean? That means thousands of people who could not maybe attend the live event are now through the comfort of their own home on their computer going to be able to participate and have a ticket and be part of their Lift to Lead conference. You do not want to miss this. We're inviting you to learn from a few intentional people that I've invited to share the stage. Steve Harvey, Kat Cole, Alan Mulali, Farida Bedway, Alfred Baku, Craig Groeschel. They will all be joining me. And let me tell you why I picked these people. This is not a time for an L2L just to have just people who could speak well. We have to have leaders who model how to overcome adversity well and will help you throughout this incredible crisis. At our virtual event, there will be opportunities to participate in Q&A, live chat with other growth-minded leaders, engage in polls and other audience engagement tools so that you're a part of the conversation. We've made this so not only can you join, but your team could join with us also. So join me as we bring you Live to Lead, a virtual event, and together, let's make the most of this year. Let's lead with intentionality. Hello, 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 hello. Good, good evening. Good evening to everybody. I see lots of people joining and uh, coming in. 
So you are all very welcome um, to the leadership platform. We're excited this evening to have you. We want to thank God the Almighty for his care, for his protection. We thank him for granting us life and health. We thank God for giving us the opportunity to influence and impact the world. We thank God for this platform where we can learn and share and grow together. So you are all very welcome and we, our prayer this evening is that the Lord will lead us and teach us and strengthen us so that at the end of the one and a half hours, all of us, everybody who is here is going to become a better leader. So thank you for making the time and spending part of your Saturday evening with us. We have been having this platform for several weeks now and we keep growing and we thank all of you. Those of you who are joining uh, for several times, you are welcome and we thank you. Just introduce yourself in the chat box by giving us your name and where you are coming from. We would appreciate uh, knowing you better. You can also interact with us on, in the chat box uh, as we go along. If there are ideas that are being shared that you share, feel free to type it into the box. If you have, uh, you're enjoying something, type it. If you agree with something, type it. If you have some other ideas, please type it in the chat box. We are all learning together so that we would become better people. If you have questions, please type it in the Q&A section. If you put your questions in the chat box, we may miss it, even though we'll try to capture as much of your comments as possible in the chat box. So you are all very, very welcome. This evening, we have a very important subject to discuss. On this platform, we are looking at these subjects from the leadership perspective. Leadership is influence, your ability to get people to follow you and to change in a positive way, hopefully. And we, there is a debate about where leaders come from and so on. And we know that all of us come from a home. And the home is a unit of our society, all of us were born into one home or the other. And we wonder why some people lead the way they lead, why some people lead very well, while others lead in a way that is disastrous. Why are some people so selfish in their leadership? Why are some so generous? What are some of the factors that affect leadership? And there are millions of them if you go through the books. But one important aspect is the home from which we all grow. So we are going to uh, focus on that. And this evening, we cannot have a better person to lead us than the speaker that we have announced. And he's going to speak to us for between 20 and 30 minutes. And then we would have uh, 40 minutes to be able to uh, ask questions and interact. And as we interact, I want all of you also to think about our major conference that is coming, our leadership conference coming on this next Friday, 
uh, the 9th of October, Live to Lead is an international conference from the statistics we are getting from the 300 sites across the world. Over 600,000 people have already registered to participate in this Live, yes, live to Lead. It's going to be big, it's going to be great, it's going to be uplifting, so we encourage you to sign up. It's only $79 as leaders, you have to invest in yourself. Please let us invest in our growth. You will never regret it and you will always want to come back. Major corporations are sponsoring a number of their people. Some companies have sponsored 70 people, some 60 people, some 20. So we encourage you to speak to your leaders, your companies, your church people to sponsor leaders and young people. If you can pay for some young people, please do and let them enjoy and experience Live to Lead. We have for this evening, a very able person. Amos Kevin Annan, I met him for the first time when I launched Live to Lead in Ghana and was going around trying to get people to come and join Live to Lead. So I visited one of the Pentecost Worship, International Worship Centers and I did a small speech to the church and after that, I had a, I was introduced to Amos and we had a little chat and he mentioned to me, Dr. Pebby, and uh, from there we have kept contact. And I followed him from afar before then on TV, listening to his, uh, you know, um, contributions and discussions on family life and, and marriage and parenting and I've been, one of his followers for, for some time before we met. Amos is a licensed youth minister and the deputy youth director of the Church of Pentecost for several years, since 2004. He's also an elder of the Church of Pentecost, but he's more than the Church of Pentecost. He's for Ghana. He's a counselor also at the university, Pentecost University. But he's a registered, a, a respected voice on youth and relational matters in, in, in this country and beyond. He's a certified coach and counselor and has been consulting and doing this for over 30 years. So he has a lot of experience behind him and in the process has written three books, Becoming a Beauty to the Glory of God, Matters of the Heart, and doing dating decently. You want to get some of these books and read. I haven't read them yet. Amos, I promise that you give me copies. I'll read them. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, Amos is, um, likes to be described as a healthy homes advocate. He organizes the uh, singles in three Ds, three dimensions, and he also organizes the Creative Couples Conclave, which are annual events for young people and married people to learn and to bond. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I believe that Amos is competent to discuss with us how leaders are made from the home. So welcome Amos, Kevin and Amos, uh, all for you, the platform is yours. Take us away, thank you very much for and accepting to be with us. Thank you. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Sam. Thank you, uh, Madam Sarah. Thank you, the leadership team at your end. And I'm so, so elated and thrilled by what the Lord is doing through the CTL family as well as the Live to Lead um, project. And we thank God for the life of Brother John Maxwell and the team at the headquarters. It's indeed um, an honor to be called upon to share a few thoughts and to learn together as people who are playing critical roles in our various sectors, particularly as we have alluded to the home. And so we, we, we are grateful. I, I come not as an expert, but as a learner as well. So as we get to interact, I would also be picking some nuggets from brothers and sisters on the platform. And um, there's no end to learning, really. Um, so you are welcome to home. And home is where we all belong. And uh, I have requested kindly of our brother to be sharing the slides as I go along. Now, all of us, like you rightly said, have come from a home. And when I was invited to speak to this subject, I was looking at what really it is that we could share with the people who will be sharing this platform with us. And I prayerfully considered four clear landmarks or roadmap for this conversation. First, the context and the concepts for this conversation, which is, I mean, leading from home. Um, secondly, some considerations that inform the nature of the conversation I'm going to be having with your people. And thirdly, calling on us to look at some of the commitments that we need to really, really look at beyond this conversation. Because um, the conversation, yes, it is. But beyond the conversation itself, there are some specific duties that will be required of us. Uh, and finally, place a clarion call to duty um, as would be appropriate. One of my mentors, uh, Billy Graham, who passed away, called into eternal glory um, last year, made a profound statement. He says, I believe the home and marriage is the foundation of our society and must be protected. When you look around, it's like the time of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah was in the comfort in the palace, it's striking to see how Nehemiah, whilst there enjoying all the largesse and all the privileges that he could um, be exposed to, one time requested to know the state of where he had come from, which was Jerusalem. And the story was told him that the state of Jerusalem was not what he had always known it to be. It was not a pleasant place any longer because the walls were collapsing, the foundations had been compromised, and all the things that uh, had occurred. So Nehemiah set himself to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And um, that story is so, so crucial uh, when you look at the state of the home today. Um, society moves along the trajectory of homes. And it's not going to come easy if we focus our attention on dealing and constructing or realigning the home 
to the place where it really belongs. Um, so I, I cannot agree any more than what uh, Billy has said, that there's a need for us to protect the home and marriage, because when marriages falter, the home will suffer. And as the home suffers, society will not be the better for it. So it will be worse off. Now, our conversational context is borrowed from Charles Everett Cope's um, profound statement. Uh, Charles was Surgeon General for the United States of America from 1981 to 1989. And Charles said, and I quote, life affords no greater responsibility, no greater privilege than the raising of the next generation. I mean, if you know his work, Charles was very much in, in, in the forefront when it came to adolescent smoking, for instance. Um, and so you look at his work and this profound statement that he has made, there are two things that stick out for, for me, Brother Sam and all the brothers and sisters on the platform, the privilege part and the responsibility part. So to be called upon to actually form the next species of leaders is indeed a privilege. Is a privilege. But that privilege also comes with a responsibility. And that's what makes it very complex because you must find yourself and notice that you are in a place where others wish they were but haven't been. And you are there and that's where the privilege part comes. Now, it is a charge to keep that you cannot falter and that is where the responsibility uh, bit comes. Um, uh, Steve Covey says responsibility. So responsibility then is your ability to respond to the task that has been assigned you. Some leadership legs on which this conversation is thrusted. We know others say leaders are born where it is that is by nature. Others have contested that leadership, leaders are made, which is the nurturing processes. Some also go to the extent, especially those within the religious bracket, who say people are called by a divine uh, assignment. And I, I tend to um, not have much quibble over these things, but let's look at what John Maxwell says. Um, and this is an excerpt from his um, The Five Levels of Leadership, which uh, when I got introduced to this, I, I was really blessed by the contents of the book. And it says, if you think you are leading, but no one is following, then you are only taking a walk. Now, when you look at leaders are born, leaders are made, leaders are called, fine. But what if there's nobody who is succeeding? There's nobody taking over. It's like a relay race. The baton change must occur. And there's no better place for baton change than the home. And that's why I believe in what John says. He says, leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. Now, so beyond leaders are born, leaders are made, leaders are called, is a critical aspect of what John proposes for us to consider. And so on the screen now, you see a pink and a blue shirt where a girl says, when I grow up, I want to be like mommy. And a boy is also asserting, when I grow up, I want to be like that. That's striking. 
I was, I was in one European nation doing some youth leadership training. And then I had the privilege of engaging the young people and asked them to give me five personalities that influenced them. I was shocked. And this was within a church context. And I was surprised to, to the core when I reviewed the list they had given me and not one young person mentioned father or mother. In fact, church pastors and leaders never found expression in the list they gave me out of the five. And I'm talking about close to about 85 young people. If indeed leadership we have all come to appreciate has an overarching presence in the influence we bring to bear on our children, then we should ask ourselves the critical question. Leading at home means that our children should look at us and want to be like us. Now, are we scared or we are at peace? Because it is the kind of leadership model that we exemplify that the girls want to be like, that the boys want to be like. And if I, as a parent, am scared of my child or my son wanting to be like me, then I'm in big, big trouble. I cannot look up to society or the school to do this. And now, let me raise a few things that inform our conversation. Now, over the three decades plus one that I've worked with young people, I have followed many, many kinds of writings and all of the things that are available in academia, in exhortation literature, and in practice. Now, I have come to the firm conclusion that the six things that are critical for each one of us who is seeking to lead young people who would invariably impact their generation should look at is first and foremost how to get them connected to their older people. Because clearly when young people show you that the examples are rather celebrity individuals, uh, music stars, movie people in the movie industry, which may not be necessarily bad, but the question is what are the things that they are picking from these individuals? So the first thing is parenting. And parenting in my context of this conversation is the persons they submit to for nurturing and grooming. Who is actually nurturing and grooming the next generation? Secondly, mentors. The people they look up to as heroes and heroines. And throughout history, there are all kinds of heroes and heroines in the lives of individuals. Thirdly, Identity, that is how they are turning out virtually and visibly. Because as you may well know, um, we live on two planes, two terrains, if you like. I, I listened to Sarah talk about the iceberg principle, uh, which is fantastic because it must be heavier below the waterline. Otherwise, you're going to have a challenge building a superstructure that can even collapse because the foundations may be compromised. And identity is at the heart of it. How young people show themselves on the virtual plane and then in the visible plane, which is the real world, um, where we physically live. But for many young people, the real deal is 
being where we share. I mean, the Katis say, I think therefore I am. The Ubuntu platform and the African worldview says that you are, we are therefore you are, or you are therefore we are. You know, like the East Africans would say, a human being is a human being because of other human beings. So that sense of connection. But for the young people, it is you share, therefore you exist. So the virtual life really is the real deal. And what kind of identity are they having? What kind of image are they portraying? What kind of character are they exhibiting? And those are very, very important things out there. Then the fourth one is the values. You know, the belief systems that regulate their behavior. Because if the things they believe are negative, are awful, it will turn out that their behavior will be negative and awful. It's like computer system. Garbage in, garbage out, giggle, as we've been told. The fifth one has to do with their priorities. What are the things that mean so much to the young people? So if you're seeking to actually connect with this disconnected generation who are actually outsourcing these things from the home, there's a need for us to look at our own priorities as adults, our own priorities as parents, our own priorities as caregivers, uh, guardians, and what have you. And finally, morals, what they consider as normal. You see, there's a whole debate about whether or not we should go A or B, but at the heart of it is when normal looks boring, abnormal looks attractive. And so there's a need for us to get a parenting priority right, guardianship priority right. And priority is key because it, it, it's like the economists would say, your scale of preference. You arrange your things in order of which one is meritorious to you. And I found this statement somewhere whose author I am not too sure. He says, the job of a parent is to help his or her children come to know themselves, grow to like themselves, and find satisfaction in being themselves. Hmm. Uh, because this is the individual who ultimately is going to influence the dynamics of society. Now, the job description, as has been prescribed here, for me is fantastic. Many young men and women that I have engaged with over the last three decades of my life have not actually discovered who they are as image bearers of the creator. And so they are living a borrowed life or a facade or a small screen or a screensaver, as they say it's in a computer world today. And so at the heart of it is how parents can help the child know who they are. Secondly, they must appreciate who they are. They must, they, must, they must not regret who they are. Those of you on the platform, if you haven't read the book title, The Child Called It, I will recommend that book strongly to each one of you. The Child Called It. Young people must not reject themselves. We've got to groom them to come to a place where they actually accept themselves and not reject themselves. And when they do not reject themselves, they find satisfaction in who they are. And that will lead to many, many, many things. So at the heart of the home are these things. First and foremost, home is where our story begins. So every human being, including those of us on the platform right now, we have a story and our story began from somewhere. And we should ask ourselves the question, what is the nature of our story? It is also the place 
which is not just a building, a construction, but it's also a feeling. I learned this in a project I undertook in Haiti, where we had working with a, a Swedish-based NGO, we had taken young people off the street and placed them in shelters. And those young boys ran back to the streets when they only had a chip box. And when myself and my colleague were sent there to go and investigate what was accounting, because huge sums of money was invested in that project, and yet they had gone back to the street. And so we discovered that the young people at that time preferred the street because they found the street to be more homely than the shelter. That's what's scary. So home is not a place. It's actually a feeling. It's an atmosphere. It's a condition. It's far more than a structure. It's the entire ecosystem that exists in a place. Now, and true, we have said it. I mean, our forebears said it, that there's no place like home. And indeed, you may find a substitute to home, but home is more than just a place we go to sleep. And so some indicators of the home and how it shapes young people. Home is where love resides. We should ask ourselves, is there love in our home? Are we loving each other? Are we saying it? Are we showing it? Are we living it? Are we practically transferring that? Because a lot of the young people I see who don't have self-love and are self-destructing, they are in settings where there's no love, if at all it's not told to them. Secondly, is where we learn lessons. What lessons are the young people picking on what it means to be a human being, what it means to be a citizen, what it means to be a person of faith, what it means to be productive, what it means to be a person who has moral turpitude, what does it mean to, to be compassionate, what does it mean to, to, be, to be excellent. All those things, they are lessons that they are learning. And there's no way they would learn this better than looking up to their older people. Home is also where memories are molded. It's not only lessons, but I still have memoirs in my mind. I reminisce sometimes growing up as a child. And the memories that are living on in my mind as a young person, I still look at them and I'm surprised some of the things that I still need, even now at age 50 plus. Also, home is where legends live legacies. And so leadership at this point in the home must pay attention to these four critical things. Love, lessons being learned, memories being molded, and legacies being left and bequeathed to the next generation. Now, there's an African proverb that says, home is not where we live, home is where we belong. And another African proverb that says that what the child states, he has heard at home. Now, so when I meet a child and they are saying some things, I have to now gauge the kind of home they are coming from. And the home then shows us what it is that is going to be a precursor to what the child is exemplifying. So what will be our commitment beyond this conversation? Well, John Adams says that children learn the meaning of morality, religion, and respect for law from the habitual fidelity of their parents to one another. And so that means that at the heart of it, before you think of your child looking prim proper, your child looking excellent, your child becoming uh, a corporate executive, your child becoming a good citizen, your child becoming anything that you, would be an ideal template 
on which society is constructed, it's important to remember that they are not going to learn it from anywhere far more than the habitual fidelity. You see, the word is habitual. It must be consistent. It must be intentional. It must be gauged. It must be seen. It must be something that is evidential. So what are we looking at? First and foremost, I, I'm considering mindset change. Mindset change. In us as adults, we've got to begin to check off that whole mantra that says you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I have contested them for, for a while now because I, I had a very interesting experience traveling from the Netherlands uh, through Paris by train. And I sat in the coach, the side of the coach, and I saw a blind lady being led by a dog to use the restroom. And the dog squatted by it and led the lady as soon as the lady flushed um, the, the toilet and they just lifted itself up and led the lady back to her seat. And I said, look, those who are sitting in our part of the world that says you can't teach an old dog new tricks, they've got to have a mindset change. It's, it's what they call paradigm shift. Because when you look at this, it's a formation process that we have. We're giving raw clay. We've got to mold it into whatever we want as a porcelain. And that's where the price really would be. Raw clay doesn't cost that much. It's not expensive as the porcelain, which is the production end of things. So we as adults and as parents need to have a mindset change. And which mindset change we should trust uh, Providence to help us to also help in our young people. Secondly, motivations. What is it that intrinsically drives us? You see, a lot of motivation I see today is induced from external sources. But what is inside us that is causing us to do the things that we do? We've got to look at that. Thirdly, modeling modeling. Be the example that you wish to see. That's it. Be the change you want to see has been a slogan that I've heard in recent times. Then molding. Molding requires intentionality. You know, it will not always come out the way you expect, but it's important to intentionally mold. The fifth one is mentoring. Mentoring, mentorship. So apprenticeship, discipleship in those religious settings, but mentoring is, is what we know. But in olden days, we had a lot of our apprenticeship, okay? Carry somebody along with you. John says, if you're walking and nobody is following after you, then you're just taking a walk. Indeed, I, I accept that. And I share a lot in that. Um, like, like the um, butterfly, look at the stages. It moves from egg to caterpillar to the chrysalis, to adult images, then finally you have a butterfly. Nobody finds an egg attractive, but everybody wants a butterfly, which is the end product really. So we've got to have a mentoring process where we take them through a process. And process um, is what forms many things that we see around the world. And then also our own manners. Uh, what manners do we show to our young people? What are the manners that we are inculcating in them? Goodwill, um, communal spirit, uh, courtesies for each other, respect for law, uh, sensitivity towards those who are vulnerable, not exploiting others and not profiting from people's pain and things like that. What are the manners today? You know, then we've got to look at the methodology to use. We must understand that children are very different. Uh, they may be children, they may be young people, but they are not homogeneous. And being heterogeneous means that we must have varied 
methodology in what we do. And finally, multiplication. You know, we've got to grow our kind. We've got to grow our kind. And I like the statement. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear of my children walking in the truth. My question to you now is, have you missed any mentoring moments? Just take a look at a father and mother teaching their children. And if you look at the warmth that is created there, mentorship is to bring people close to you, let them observe the likable traits and qualities in you, let them adapt it and fit themselves into it and hope they can role play that when they're given the opportunity. In conclusion, I want to place a clarion call. And the clarion call is this. The Chinese proverb that I found many years ago, which I've grown to love, it says, if righteousness enters the heart, there will be beauty in character. If there be beauty in character, there is harmony in the home. If there is harmony in the home, there'll be order in the nation. If there's order in the nation, there'll be peace in the world. So where does it start? It starts from the heart of the individual. And for us to get into the heart of the matter, it will take a whole village to raise up a child. As our African forebears have told us, there was a work done by Reuben Hill. And Reuben Hill did this work. Thousands of teenagers were um, sampled. And he found out four models of parenting. The first one he discussed and called the permissive parents, who he says they are the fearful ones. Then the second model was the neglectful parents who forsake their duties as parents. Then the third one was authoritarian parents. Um, these are the fighting parents. They're always fuming and fighting because they're, they're losing something. And the fourth one is the authoritative parents who is warm and connecting and fellowshipping with their children. Now, how does this reflect? Now, in the next slide, you see from Robin's report. Now, just look at the emotional closeness and the structure um, grid that is provided in the quadrant that you see. Now, to the left, you see structure, zero to 100%. Um, so from left to right. And then from bottom up, it's also zero to 100, which gauges the emotional connectedness of, of the parents. Now, when a child is the CEO of the home, the parents are seen to have leniency on structure. But you notice that the emotional connection is 100% at that point. Now, just take a look at the business CEO where the parents is lacking. They are just not there. Look at structure, zero. Emotional closeness, zero. Now, take a look at when the parents are legalistic and they are fighting and they are the kind who are reinforcing and insisting on stuff, look at the emotional closeness. It's zero up to midpoint and then look at the aspect of structure, 100%. Then look at when the parent is loving and love dominates. Look at that. You get the structure 100% and you get the emotional connection also 100%. So what am I driving at? It means that there's a need for us as we relate to our young people and lead them from the home. Love 
must be the determinant. And when it is that you need help and feel overwhelmed as an adult or as a parent, I think seeking help is not a bad idea. No wonder the computer has a help button. I, by the kind grace of the Almighty, have settled with three things as my motivation. First, I lead myself so that my daughters would look at how I'm leading myself. Secondly, I follow Christ Jesus. I don't force it on them. I follow Jesus. They see it and they follow me. Thirdly, I serve others. And this is at the heart of my existence and it's my reality. I want to thank you most sincerely for the opportunity to share these thoughts with your audience. And I'm eternally grateful. Thank you very much. On this, I defer to you for the interactions. Wow. Amos, thank you, thank you, thank you. Those are powerful, powerful, powerful thoughts. The home is where it all begins. And if the home does its work, eventually we are going to have peace in the world because all the nations are going to, you know, grow together and we are going to have a very beautiful world. Thank you, Amos, for those beautiful presentations, Thank those you. beautiful ideas. At this um, point, we are going to move to uh, questions and answers. And guys, I, as I tell you all the time, this is where we learn a lot of practical lessons. This is where your specific issues are addressed. This is where you learn from others what their issues are. So I encourage you to stay with us and to learn as we address specific questions. But for those who join later, I want to once again encourage you to go to our website and to register for Live to Lead. Live to Lead is a John C. Maxwell um, leadership conference. It is the top of his activities, the premier Live to Lead conference. And every year, Live to Lead is hosted in Ghana by the Center for Transformational Leadership. And we are, for the first time, holding this virtually. Several people have already registered. The event is on the 9th of October, which is next Friday. So you don't have to miss it. Already, if you register now, there are several bonus videos on leadership, past live to lead videos and others that you can learn from. The price is $79 and it is a very good investment. In fact, if you go on the website, you find that the ticket is being sold to the American world and others for $99. We have a special price of $79 and this is worth the time. We are starting at nine and finishing at five. John Maxwell will speak. Alain Mulali, the former uh, CEO of Boeing and Ford will speak. We have our own Alfred, um, who is the head of uh, uh, Goldfields Ghana, who is going to speak to us. We have a special guest, a lady who has lived all her life with um, cerebral palsy, but has overcome this challenge 
and become an internationally acclaimed software engineer. Here she has developed software for banks and microfinance across Africa. Her story is amazing and you would not want to miss it. Come and listen to Farida Bedway and several other uh, uh, expert leadership experts share their experience and lessons that would actually encourage you to become a better leader. So go on our website, live to lead uh, uh, at ctl-africa.com and please register today and start learning. So at this point, we are going to move. Um, I see a lot of comments. I'm profoundly honored to, to have shared the space tonight. That is, come, uh, that is what Amos is saying. He's happy that all of you are here with him. But there are several others who have also commented and are grateful. Great delivery. It's a blessing to be part of this. Uh, somebody is asking if there will be a certificate. Contact yeah. us with about that. Um, all right. So, uh, great ideas, wonderful presentation. Uh, privileged to be served with these great ideas. Um, so, great presentation on leadership starts from the home. Simple and practical. Thank you, Amos. Those are some of the comments. Wonderful and spot on. Great delivery. Uh, have really enjoyed this. Um, I'm grateful. Amazing stuff. God bless you. Uh, those are some of the ins, uh, comments we're getting. And um, very insightful. Thank you. Very useful presentation. Well done, Kevin. And many, many, many more. Now, we will move to the questions. And uh, Amos, the first question here is, when normal looks boring, the abnormal becomes attractive, as you said. Question, how do we consistently ensure that the normal does not become boring? And that is a question from Yao Adumbuateng. Um, I know him to be the CEO of INSEA. Um, and that is his question. Right. And the, uh, the, uh, let me take one, two more, uh, or one more so that you can answer them. Okay. Sam, the statement, home is not a place, but a feeling is so true, judging from the fact that ev every host of the house tells his or her guests to feel at home. Oh, okay, so that's a comment. Uh, so it's to affirm that we agree. So when people come, you say feel at home. So home is a feeling. Where do I get the book? The child called it. Um, so that's a question. Where can uh, people get that book? Um, the next question is, so we have two questions. Let me take add this one. Please, what were children who refused to heed to parents' advice or teachings, uh, but go out, go wayward, be termed. Normally, mothers are blamed for it, yet some really did their best, but the child won't. won't. All right, so those are the questions, Amos, and uh, please address them and let's... Thank you, thank you. Yeah. 
Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Yao, thank you for your question. Um, I think that I want to strongly recommend that we stay consistent with what is normal, what is seen to be excellent, what is seen to be um, the example, the way to go. Because the moment we shift from the way to go, our children or the young people who are looking after us get confused. So there'll be the distortion of what it is that we are expecting of them to do. And so many of the times you hear what we call um, wrong signals or mis, mis, uh, mixed communication. When that occurs, the young people get confused. So I would encourage each one of us to stay consistent on the track that is the model. Uh, somebody said, a careful adult I want to be because little followers watch me. My, their eyes, they can't escape me. The base in me, they think is normal. So what they see is what they will replicate. Uh, where do you get the book, um, the child called it? Um, I'll leave my email. If you send me an email, I can send you the PDF. Uh, my, my email is at the end of the slide and hopefully Isaac can project my email at the point so that uh, if you send me an email, I'll send you the PDF version. Um, uh, please, what about children who refuse uh, to heed parents' advice or teachings? but go wayward, be tempted. Well, uh, he says normally the mothers are blamed for <laughs> what happens. Well, it's important to also notice that a lot of the time the fathers are also bashed because the absence of the father creates a greater crisis. And um, fatherhood absence, there's enough data on it out there. <laughs> um, and I don't want to uh, repeat. So there's a need for us to understand that it's not about blame. Some children are strong-willed children, as Dr. Dobson would normally say. So if a child is strong-willed, no matter how you turn them around, sometimes they want to go their own way. But it is said that a child left to themselves means that the parent desires their destruction. So you don't leave your child to themselves. You've got to still tender them. You still want to care for them. Uh, sometimes we blame parents for things they are not responsible for. I've seen good parents end up having children who are wayward. They've done all their best. I mean, sometimes your best is inadequate. Sometimes it's also that we have underestimated the, the potential threats that our children face, and therefore uh, we lose our guard. And today, sometimes many parents are disempowered. And I find it an affront on parenting when we make parents feel like they don't know what they're about and they don't know what to do. Parents are still the most influential people in the lives of young people. Now, uh, how do you manage children with different personalities. Now, well, Kevin, like I Kevin, said. Just, just before okay. you move to that question, I... Okay. But where does parenting um, training come in? Is it possible that because we are not trained to parent, we're probably not doing a good job. That's why we may be losing the, the children. You know, so how do we... Parents yeah. also acquire knowledge on how to train our children and and be more effective. And the other point is that these days yeah. we have a lot of young people who are having children. So you have a child with a child. How does a child train up a child? How do you address those things? All right. Okay. I think I think that follow up is a very legitimate one to add. <laughs> well, you see. Let's take children having children. Um, by definition, a child is anybody below 18, isn't it? That's the legal definition. Um, but I see that 
there are a lot more older people who are acting childishly mm. because they are refusing to take responsibility for what mm. they themselves do, which is the first indication of childishness. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference between being childlike and being childish. Unfortunately, in our part of the world, many people confuse the two to be the same, but they are, mm. they are distinguishing factors. Now, the other thing also I want to say is this, that there is enough resources out there. If for nothing at all, COVID has taught us that the wealth of resources online to build our capacity as parents, we have no excuse to fail, our young people. Now, just as an accountant, a lawyer would always upgrade themselves, so must a person who is married upgrade him or herself. A person raising children must upgrade him or herself. You cannot stay in, in a state where you are perpetually going to blame a system for not supplying what you need. That would be very, very unfortunate. It should not happen to any one of us here. We should all build our capacities. And building your capacity, and this is one of the platforms, here we are building our leadership capacity, and this leadership at the home. So we are adding qualitatively to what it is that we're doing. My friend, Imano uh, Hobson, says that many people, the way they give attention to their job now, and I agree with him. So it means that we ourselves should look at our situation and then upscale our skills, soft or hard, and ensure that we do our best. And sometimes, like I rightly admitted, our best may be inadequate. It's not because you didn't try, but you tried. And sometimes some things may be beyond you. So you have to get into a state of networking with other parents to sharpen your skills. In fact, it's one of the reasons why we started our couples retreats. It's not because I have a perfect marriage, no. It's simply because I realized that there's a need for a community of spouses to share broadly, to exchange ideas, to encourage one another, to nudge each other towards excellence. And so in a, even though I'm only 20 years in marriage in, in November, we have a couple on our page who are 31 years in marriage. Why are they there? They're great inspiration to those who are one year in marriage, six months in marriage, and we build it on and we leverage on our small, small successes without losing track of that. And so for me, that's my recommendation. Nobody should let anything be lost on you. Every little success indeed an example to leverage upon and it's a best practice all right thank you so much i think at a point you probably would have to share with us how do we join the couples conference yes, 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 so yes. so we move on to the next question which is how do you manage children with different personalities and the other one is uh, in your absence as a parent probably due to work schedule what measures can you put in place for you to still win the love of your children? Oh, so those are the next two questions for you. I mean, that, that's an awesome one. I mean, the one from Galaxy J4. Um, I will come to Jerry Boachie's own as well. Now, the issue of winning at work without losing at love is key. Now, if you're living in the ideal marital setting where father and mother are present, raising the children, the absence of one must be compensated for 
by the one who is present. And under no circumstance must the one who is present take advantage of their presence to undermine the absence of the other. Because what tends to happen is that the absence is actually on account of supplying to meet the needs of the home. So whilst you're winning at work, nothing should be done to injure you simply because you're absent. Now, the other thing also is this, that the person who is busy at work must also have in mind that that whole mindset of absent in body means absent in mind is dangerous and fatal for the family. So you may be at a distant location working, but you must keep your hands on the, on the, on the steering wheel. You must still stay connected. And digitally, today is the way to go. Digital connection is key. I mean, live chats and stuff like that, signing on onto Zoom and having a chat with your family, it's key. Set those shadows aside and, and be, be intentional about it. Do the same with your spouse if you're within a union. If you're alone raising your children, then it means that you've got to get a support, some assistance. And whoever comes to your space, don't just let them be because people will not do what you expect. We have been told. They do what you will inspect. So keep your eye on the ball and ensure if you can install devices to monitor from a distance, that's also good as long as you don't over, overdo it, because sometimes it becomes overbearing and intrusive, and that's not helpful. Now, the other question on how do you manage children with different personalities? You must, um, you must, I know you yes, want a follow-up. I can see you want to have a follow-up. Yes, yes, because um, you're going to one area which is of interest, uh, which is the impact of social media on parenting. You know, yeah. today... You, you can tell your children, you can do whatever, but like your, your study or social in Haiti, there, there may be people who are being influenced from different directions. Um, they mm -hmm. are on Facebook, Instagram, they are seeing on TV people, they are hearing all sorts of things. How does the parent, you know, navigate all that? How do you set the barriers and structures to be able to keep or successfully navigate your child through this mass mess of uh, maze of uh, you know information everywhere. Well, that that's a nightmare for every parent, including myself. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no magic wand in this matter that gives you instant results. What we all need to do is we're all learning on the job. So first and foremost, what I do is to. Um, do a Google search of myself from time to time. Um, so Google me. And each one of you, after this session, can Google yourself. And you'll be amazed at things about you online that you have no clue they exist. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's the starting point. <laughs> now, what often happens is that where parents tend to gravitate, the young people run away from that. So parents are on Facebook trying to, you know, teleguide their children, and they have moved to IG. <laughs> parents move to IG, and they are on Periscope, or they are on Telegram, or something else. Now, if you want to do that, you would, you would have a run for your money. Your energies will run out. So what you need to do is that building the capacities and the competences of your children to gauge, first and foremost, the threats. Second, to know who they are and what values they have to exemplify so that 
they don't get confused when others are misleading them. You know, because they need to know themselves and the values that they themselves own. So that in your absence as a parent, they can live honorably. But if they do dishonorable things in your absence and only appear to be compliant in your presence, then that's from full respect, as we say it in Ghana here. And no parent deserves that kind of thing. So there's a need for us to um, look at the age appropriateness and the interventions and the liberties we give to the children. And as they grow in their show of responsibility, we give them more leverage to be more spatially free to act in the way that um, will be reasonable and not injurious to them. I think there's a whole presentation on social media and parenting and all that. Uh, we can have a conversation later on how all to right. share this with your people. That, that would take yeah. a long time. Um, so I can now move to the children with different personalities, right? Exactly. All right, okay. Now just as we are, as adults are different from each other, I mean, the fingers on your hand are not the same. So it would be with your children. Some children are very outgoing, others are indoorsy. I mean, for instance, my, my younger brother who comes after me could be in the house for two weeks and not step out and you'll be comfortable. I'll get sick. <laughs> it's, only, it's only in recent times that I took it's a course. It's 20 hours. I took a course on solitude, silence, stillness, you know, that I have cherished the ability to stay still <laughs> and not feel you know, distraught. So we should look at our children. Every child comes with a different fabric. They are made differently. They think differently. They interpret things differently. So there's a need for the parent to know how different their children are. That's the first thing. Secondly, what may hurt one child may actually be an incentive for the other. So you as a parent would also have to watch that. Now, some children can take a scold. You scold them and they are fine. Others, scolding will kill their initiative. So we as parents need to observe these different traits. And um, there's a book titled Understanding How People Misunderstand You. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a great resource I would recommend to anybody on the platform um, because it, it helps you to first understand yourself as a person and then understand how others also operate. The challenge is sometimes we are afraid our children are not exactly thinking like us. But it is not possible. Uh, it will be unreasonable to go that route. And you'll be frustrated as a parent. Good. Thank you so much. Um, I think that is an that is a big area. One of these days, we'll talk about the different yeah. personalities and the leadership, uh, yeah. you know, dimensions. Now, the next question is a child who insists to have his or her own way, no matter what you do to him or her. Please, how do you handle such a child? That's the first one. Two, the next question, I believe normality flows with the tide era. We are not in normal times, courtesy COVID-19. Is it not normal to protect ourselves and observe all protocols when we are faced with what we are, what we are going through? I think currently something is meeting. What really makes it not normal? 
as I see a lot of things, internet usage, cashless society, etc., as normal. Your ideas. I'm not sure I get that question okay. very well. I think I think I, I have a fair idea what it's trying to drive at. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, I mean the whole concept of a new normal is 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 the reality. I mean I, I had always seen on flights uh, persons from Middle East and Asia wearing those masks because of the SARS. Mm. I remember one time going to Venice and the, the entire flight that landed from Philippines or so had people, and I was scared. I was like, what's happening? They were all in face masks. I mm. never, ever in my fingers of thought imagined that the time will come where I'm stepping out of my home and I, among the accessories I must have is a face mask. Mm. You know, Dr. Tabo once made a remark. He says, when change comes and you refuse to change, change will change you against your will and you will change crying. <laughs> That's true. And many of us have seen the change. We are resisting the change. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon we'll be compelled to change along the line. And that will be fatality coming our way. Mm. So, yes, the internet has come. We must use it reasonably. We must use it um, in ways that will not be injurious to us. We need to understand that not everything on the internet is savory for our consumption. Just mm -hmm. as not every meal that is sold on the open market is edible. It may mm -hmm. be food and all that, but it may not be healthy for you as an individual. So we need to help our young people and we ourselves should not be doing things that we know are injurious to human beings. Only for our children to want to do same and we are crying. That, that would be fatal, you know. Um, I remember when I was in Kenya once where they had introduced the um, mobile system for people to check the stock market rates of maize and stuff. On the farm, these were being introduced to farmers. And there was a hullabaloo that, oh, these are illiterate, they are not educated, why do you spend time doing this? And today, it's become a pattern. Yeah. They took the lead many, many years ago, and now we are catching up with them. So that's the reality of life. I mean, the tide is such that sometimes you've got to flow with the tide. Sometimes you must swim against the tide. Because it's not every tidal wave that is helpful. Some will carry you to deep seas that you don't know how to swim, and you will drown. So when you see what would be threatening to you, you don't swim along. And, and swimming against the tide by swimmers have been told is the most difficult thing to do because it splashes directly into your eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, um, that's a discomfort. Okay, um, a child who insists on having his or her way, I need to know the age of the child because age-appropriate intervention is required. Um, at every material moment, the best interest of the child is what must drive us. Um, things like discipline and punishment and all those things have to be discussed what disciplinary measures are appropriate for, say, uh, under five-year-old child? What disciplinary measures will be appropriate for a teen or a post-teen? So you've got to also know that there are varied interventions, and but at the heart of it must be the best interest of the child, not necessarily protecting your image as a parent, which is often my fault. Because I'm a public communicator, people are looking up to me. So when my children are behaving, I say to them, you see, you know what you're doing. You're putting me in harm's way. <laughs> I'm sure there will be more than one person on the platform who has that struggle just like myself. Okay, so I'm told it's under five years. <laughs> um, if they're under five years, it means that parental control must be asserted, parental authority must be asserted, 
but we must also teach them how to negotiate. Yeah. So we must, um, there's a whole principle which is taught. I, I did um, a series for SOS some years back on positive discipline. Uh, if you take my email, we can have a conversation on positive discipline. It's a disciplinary measure that does, it's not high handed, it's negotiable. And five years, they are speaking. They may not speak like an adult, but they have their own language pattern. They are reasonable. We can help them to reason along the lines of their age. And they know what is injurious, what is not safe, and what is not helpful. Um, so we should guide the five-year-old child to, to see. I was watching a video recently, which a friend sent to me, of a father who was busy on his phone, and his baby in the court nearly fell and tumbled over from the court. And he dropped his phone and held his child. I found that's amazing drive of a parent, you know, to throw away your phone just to save your child. That tells us that we now need to reprioritize. Mm. You know, sometimes it's as if our gadgets mean more to us than our children. But for a five-year-old child, yes, look them in the eye, let them see the things that are not right or wrong. And you as an adult, don't be caught doing the wrong thing and expect them to do the right thing. That's just impossible. Thank you. Then the, the last question relate to that. Well, a bit mm. different, but how do you, do I manage a daughter who is overly extroverted and, and not make her timid? How do you manage? Uh, okay, so still again, still again, we, we know that it's an extroverted child, but mm -hmm. at what age are they? What is their age? Yeah. yeah, because the age is significant. The age is significant. Um, if they are, mm -hmm. say, at senior high school level, there's a different intervention for them. Mm -hmm. At the senior high school level of, of, of that nature, you are looking at rules plus relationship, which um, Josh McDowell says would elicit positive response. Now, rules minus relationship. You relate as a friend so that your instruction and guidance can easily be absorbed. But where it is that you are alien, disconnected, um, they accepting your influence will be very difficult. Because see, I, um, I see a lot of parents who say my children are not my friends. So there's no warmth at home. They don't even have a play item at home. No Ludo, no Scrabble, no... Uh, who know nothing, no, no game at all. Mm. And so how are you connecting with a child beyond the routine and the rhythm of parenting, which mm. is ethos driven? So let's mm. build more friendship with the children so that we can connect because friends actually influence friends. And so if we are talking about leadership is influence and which is what we all on this platform believe it is true, then it means that friendship will grant us the opportunity to influence our children. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, thank you very much. I'm seeing a couple of hands up because we have a few uh, minutes. I'm going to try to allow one or two to speak. All right. Okay. Um, so I have Marjorie. Marjorie. Um, will you, are you still there?
Okay. Hello. Yes. Yeah, hi, you saw your hand up. Will you want to share why your hand was up or was just a mistake? Hello? Hello, Marjorie. Marjorie, we are listening. Oh, she went out. Okay. Hello? She's muted. Okay, now uh, we have uh, Cynthia Martinson. Um, Cynthia, your hand is up. You want to say something? I Hello? can see Marjorie. I can see Marjorie trying to come on, but uh, not able to talk. Cynthia? Uh-oh. What's going on here? I think okay. there's some network. It sounds to me that there's some network challenge. There must be. Um, I'm seeing yeah. uh, William Odro. Um, William, will you want to try? William, you are muted. All right. Okay, so. Um, Hello? Yes. Yes, William. Hello, Samir. I'm not asking no question. Sorry. All right. Your okay. hand was okay. up, so okay. we're not uh, sure. Sorry, uh, sorry. Okay. Uh, Abina, is your hand up? I see Abina or oh, not up. Okay. All right. So, um, in the absence of any questions, um, I think we want to thank Amos, but uh, Amos, yeah, you wanted me want to share how. Yeah, you wanted me to share how people can be part of the couples conclave. I've put a exactly, number out. I put a number exactly. out, there, which is my personal direct line. Uh, please keep that. Um, send me a WhatsApp. I will send you a link. Um, the Creative Couples Conclave. We've signed an MOU with uh, Volta Serene Hotel in Ho. And for the next two years, we are going to be having our retreats there. The next edition of our retreats, which just ended two weeks ago, would be the 29th of April to the 2nd of May. 29th of April to the 2nd of May. I want to encourage you to start saving. I mean, the last one that we held this year was 3,000 per couple for two nights. And this time we're gonna have three nights. So it may go up a little. Um, start saving now. Between now and April is a long time. If you start saving 20 cities a day, you are good to go. Good. I'm seeing a couple more questions. Um, um, I okay. think- I'm willing to take any that you want um, to give me. We just have uh, some 10 minutes. So. Uh, All right. The next one is any recommendation on parenting books, especially for children under 10. And the next one is what do you do as a child when the parent or parents you look up to do not take their own advice and seem to be doing the opposite of the things they warn you about? So this hmm. may be from uh, a child and uh, how do you approach the parent without being disrespectful? Yeah, that's okay. a very 
difficult one. When parents are the ones sending the wrong examples, it's a nice I once met a 16-year-old girl in one international school I had presented, and this girl asked me a question. Is marriage necessary today? For a 16-year-old girl to be soliloquying to herself with this means that what she has seen was a proposal on the blind side of each other, but the child has seen both, but haven't raised the question. So it means that parental example is very, very important. It may be either a disincentive or an incentive. Now, how children do this without being disrespectful is tricky. It's very much dependent on the kind of parents you have. If you have, say, a choleric parent, if you directly speak to them, they'll find it an affront. So if you have a parent who is choleric, I would rather you write notes and stick it under their pillow or on their dashboard <laughs> or somewhere that they will discover. Something innocuous must be done because the choleric, we know, uh, they like the bring it on type of thing. Now, if your parent say is a sanguine type, then they'll be inclined towards a conversation. So when they are in their heat of moment where they are excited, just join them. If they love their football or want to watch some telenovela, you just sit alongside and you're having a chat as you're watching. Then you say, oh, well, you know, I have this thing I wanted to ask you about. Just pose it in a question form or create a storyline, which may not be directly related to them and try to get the answer. But when you do it directly, many parents will feel very uncomfortable and then that's where the disrespectful uh, tendency will come up. Um, recommendations, yes, yeah, there are several of them. Uh, but again, I can't make a list on the page right now. But if you get in touch with me, either by my number or by email, I would share some um, resources with you. I have a number of PDFs that I can share with you. Um, but one that I would really recommend is Gary Chapman's Love Languages. Um, it, it's a great resource. Um, Sean, Sean Covey also has uh, a very good book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teenagers. I mean, once at age 10, let them read those kinds of books. It will help them. Um, and for you as a parent, um, you could get Chip Ingram's book on effective parenting in a defective world. Effective parenting in a defective world. Um, Chuck Swindle also has a whole collection on parenting, uh, surviving through, um, from surviving to thriving. Uh, that's also something that you can look at. There are quite a number of them. I, I would later engage you. Um, if you don't mind, you can get in touch. I can, I can give you a whole array of list of resources. And then uh, Pew, Pew Research also is there. Uh, Pew, P-E-W. They also do a lot of research. Um, so you could go there and do some reading um, on some of their new writings on young people. Uh, there's a gentleman by name, Walt Miller, Walt Miller, Walt Muller runs the Center for Parents Education, for instance. He's more into the digital technology, music, movies, and how they influence our young people. 
you could read some of his writings. He's, he's excellent. I mean, he wrote Understanding Today's Youth Culture. Um, Patricia Hirsch also has A Tribe Apart. It's a good go book to read as a parent. It helps you to understand today's adolescents. And if there's any way to know what really our children are looking at, first look at the TV um, titles they are watching, the magazines they want to read, the storylines they tell you about, the heroes and heroines they mention oftentimes, and the people they quote most of the time. If you want to be a student of youth culture, these are things you want to look at because it gives you an idea that influences in their lives so that you can do a background check of those individuals and then you can be in a better position to guide them. All right, thank you so much. Well, I believe we have learned so much this evening. You want to share your closing remarks with us, well, Amos? And oh, then, thank, uh, you. thank you, Brother Sam, Sister Sarah, and the team at uh, CTL. I really enjoyed every bit of this exchange. And I consider it a profound honor you asking me to be part of this. So thank you most sincerely. And we will do everything we can do in our strength and within the grace giving us to push this leadership platform uh, and what you're offering to the people that are within my scope of influence. And now I have a big concern that I have. I pray that each one of us will lead here asking ourselves three questions. First, what is it that I'm doing that will injure my leadership at home? Secondly, what is it that I am not doing that will help my leadership at home, which I need to start? And finally, what conversations must I have if I want to leave legacies to the next generation? These three questions, I believe, should position us rightly to lead at home. And as the home goes, so would habits, so would habitation, so would the neighborhood, so would the country, so would the office be. It's cascading down, 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 down to the rest of the world. Thank you once again. I'm profoundly honored. Hello, Brother Sam. Yes. Um, in the end, I think you were, you were breaking off at the end. Oh, my apologies. <laughs> yes, uh, but uh, I think it's the internet. So we, um, I think we got, we got almost everything. So we want to thank you once again. Sam, one minute. Um, somebody, somebody is talking about being married before he joins. We have singles in 3D. Singles in 3D is singles in dating, singles in decision making, and singles in dilemma. That's why it's called singles in 3D. So we address the categories of singles in that stage. And um, you have a space in that direction. When is that one too? Uh, that one will be next year. This year we are not doing an event because of the COVID restrictions. Yeah, COVID, yeah. Yeah. But hopefully next year we'll roll out um, our packages, uh, which will be a hangout, a day out, sightseeing for singles so that they can connect. Because when singles mingle, they connect. And as they connect, you know, the rest is, becomes history. <laughs> <laughs> we know the rest. All right, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I think uh, by the grace of God, we have had good lessons. We want to give thanks to Amos, but more importantly, give thanks to the Almighty God 
for guiding us through these lessons. May his name be honored and may we in our respective ways help to grow better leaders for, from our home, for our country, for our, for our world. May God bless all of us and may we all have a very good night. Thank you all for being a part. We love you. We want to encourage you to grow as leaders. Next week, we will not have the leadership platform because we are having Live to Lead on the 9th. So we'll skip the 10th and then you will join back on the 17th for another interesting uh, platform discussion. Thank you very much and have a good night to all of you. Bye-bye and thank you, Uncle Amos. Bless you too. Bless you too. And regards to everybody out there. Thank you. Thank you, Messi, Brother Sam. All right. Thank you so much. Step into leadership. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Have you ever experienced something so wonderful that you just wish that you could involve more of your friends into that experience? Well, Live to Lead is a life changer when it comes to helping you and your team develop your leadership skills and better afford to help and add value to the people of your community. And what's exciting is, I know how good it is, and this year for the very first time we're going virtual. What does that mean? That means thousands of people who could not maybe attend the live event are now through the comfort of their own home on their computer going to be able to participate and have a ticket and be part of their Live to Lead conference. You do not want to miss this. We're inviting you to learn from a few intentional people that I've invited to share the stage. Steve Harvey, Kat Cole, Alan Mulali, Farida Bedway, Alfred Baku, Craig Groeschel. They will all be joining me. And let me tell you why I picked these people. This is not a time for an L2L just to have just people who could speak well. We have to have leaders who model how to overcome adversity well and will help you throughout this incredible crisis. At our virtual event, there will be opportunities to participate in Q&A, live chat with other growth-minded leaders, engage in polls and other audience engagement tools so that you're a part of the conversation. We've made this so not only can you join, but your team could join with us also. So join me as we bring you Live to Lead, a virtual event, and together, let's make the most of this year. Let's lead with intentionality.